Well, folks, we're excited to introduce a new book to you on Walk in Truth. It is the Majestic Book of Esther, an interesting book where God's providential hand is really working in an unseen way. In fact, his name is not even mentioned once in the entire book, but his fingerprints are everywhere, just like they are on our lives. We'll learn more about banquets and battles in Esther chapter 1 today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. The book of Ruth uh, and Esther are two books that are actually among the 66 named for women. They're the only two. So the book of Esther and the book of Ruth named for women. Uh, Outside of that, you really have Uh, 64 other books that have either male names or the Psalms or that kind of thing. And the hero of the book of Esther is a woman named Esther. There is another hero that comes up in the book, and his name is Mordecai. Now, Mordecai was the uh, guardian of Esther. And sometimes you guys have heard him called an uncle, but actually he was an older cousin to Esther. And uh, Esther was an orphan child. Uh, The Bible does go on to say within this book that she lost both of her parents. Uh, To my knowledge, we don't have that backstory, but we do know that cousin Mordecai, and the way this worked is that Mordecai's uncle was the father of Esther. And so uh, Mordecai stepped in as a older cousin, brought Esther into his home, and raised her, and raised her in the Persian Empire. This book, along with the book of Daniel, is one of uh, just a couple of books that are actually set outside of a context of Israel, historical Israel. So when you read uh, other books of the Bible, usually the story is centered in Israel or namely Jerusalem. But this is one of the books, and this is uh, like the book of Daniel, where Daniel is in Babylonian captivity, but his heart is for Israel and his heart, his windows are open to pray for Jerusalem. This book is completely set in the Persian Empire. This book never once mentions God. God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. And the question becomes, well, how could that be? Why would there be a book in the canon of the Bible without the name of God that would actually be one of the 66 books of the Bible. And the lesson is that sometimes even though God's name is not mentioned or he is not clearly articulated by the record of the hero and heroine in our story, yet his fingerprints are seen everywhere. Some people say that the book of Esther is a great lesson of the providential hand of God hidden but always active and we could probably you and i could probably relate more to the book of esther in our time than we could to something like the book of exodus because in the book of exodus there's 10 radical plagues there's the parting of the red sea there's a parting of you know the river there's the glory cloud and and we you know sometimes shake our heads how could the israelites not believe in god there's the miracle of the manna all through the wilderness wanderings how can they still doubt and wallow in unbelief. The book of Esther is a group of people who are Jews, but they're outside of their homeland. They're in a foreign land, and 
really, we can relate to that because we are really strangers in exile in many ways on this planet. We're passing through, but we belong to another king and another kingdom. So one commentary I read this week was making a comparison to the story of Fiddler on the Roof and the precarious place that the Jews found themselves as they were in other lands like Russian Jews or uh, Jews in Germany, for example, where you might have a heritage or you might have a religious commitment, but the context in which you found yourself living was battling against that. In fact, when you were in a foreign land as a captive or someone who had been taken off into uh, slavery or maybe your family did and you grew up there, one of the things that you had to try to consistently avoid is being fully assimilated into that culture. And the setting of the book of Esther is a second wave of Israelites or Jewish people who did not return to the promised land when Cyrus opened the door for them to go home. And so you could say that Esther and Mordecai come from families of compromise, although there was a second wave just a few years later of a group of people who did return. There were several waves of returnees to the promised land uh, that attempted to rebuild the temple and then the walls. Uh, one of the, the third in our list of returnees that we would name uh, would be Nehemiah. And Nehemiah went with the goal to return, repair the walls, and he was the cupbearer of a later king of Persia. But under Zerubbabel and under um, the leadership of Ezra, waves of Jewish people were returning to the homeland. But those who didn't go back, you know, you could argue maybe some of them uh, lacked some zeal. Maybe they got comfortable in a foreign land. Maybe they uh, were afraid of the travel. Maybe they had young children. There's a whole host of reasons why we might not answer the call in our generation. But I think all of us who are here tonight realize that we have one life that we can live and we have to decide how we're going to live it. We have to decide if we're going to put everything into our walk with Jesus or not or just simply exist as a Christian. And I would argue in America today that most professing Christians are simply existing as a Christian. If that's what you want to do, I suppose you can skate by. If you want to play on JV your whole Christian life, you can do it. But I'm looking to play varsity. Amen? And with that comes challenges. With that comes difficult competition. With that comes stretching. With that comes you're going to play people who are better than you. You're going to be in circumstances that ask for more than you may have ever given before. So I pray that the book of Esther will challenge you. Uh, just like there's normal people in the story, somebody like Esther who was really a nobody in the Persian Empire, until God opens a door through what we would call very natural means to have a woman in her generation step up and really be the hand by which God delivers an entire nation and preserves that nation to bear a Messiah who will save us all. So we all have stock in the book of Esther because her faithfulness does impact our own lives. Now, when we uh, were winding down on the book of Daniel, I showed you a chapter where we got an inside look at spiritual warfare. And I showed you how this chapter broke down a behind-the-scenes look at what we see in Ephesians 6, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we saw there that Michael is the prince of Israel. 
And there's a verse, um, just write this down for your notes because we're just going to just do a little introduction here. Daniel 10.13 and Daniel 10.20 both reference this. Then he said, the angel says to Daniel, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece, the next world power is about to come. Nobody fights with me against these forces against, uh, uh, except Michael, the angel says to Daniel, your prince. And there in the book, and you can go back and listen to this on the website in Daniel 10, we got a behind-the-scenes look at spiritual warfare where we saw that there were entities called princes or kings that seemed to have geographic responsibility over world empires that were unfolding in our Bible, like the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. These spiritual entities, somehow in the ear of the human leader of that empire, had stock even in trying to subvert a message that an angel was bringing from heaven to Daniel to answer Daniel's questions about the future of his people Israel. Everybody with me? So what I'm saying is that even Persia, the empire that we will learn about in this book, had an entity, a spiritual entity connected to it, trying to thwart or subvert prophecy coming to Daniel about the future. Just interesting, isn't it? This is, this is what we've got. We've got a story behind the story. We've got a spiritual reality behind human events that sometimes we look at and we, we think nothing of. For example, uh, can you imagine the news report? Let's say you go home and you turn on the news and you hear uh, Queen Vashti has been deposed from her position and a new queen will be brought in. And you might watch the news and go, so what? Another scandal in politics? <laughs> Who cares? Uh, another thing for the tabloids and talk shows to talk about? I don't care. Until you realize that Vashti, the queen, being deposed, opens the door for Queen Esther to take a spot by which she will deliver the Jewish people and preserve the line from which Messiah will come. So sometimes little things that we think are no big deal, God's providential fingerprints are there. That's why in your life and mine, sometimes we think things are little. Maybe there's a door that closes and another one that opens or something happens and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, we end up over here in this job, this ministry, a new relationship, whatever it may be. And we, we sometimes don't see God's fingerprints immediately until we look back and go, hmm, wow. God actually was working, and though I couldn't see him, and maybe his name wasn't even named in the situation, he was there. So, the book of Esther. We don't know the author of the book of Esther. Some believe the author is Mordecai, cousin Mordecai. Others have suggested Ezra, who was a contemporary of the time, or later Nehemiah. The author does have detailed knowledge of the Persian customs, etiquette, and history. Plus, he's familiar with the court of Susa and so forth. The date of writing, though debated, uh, is somewhere around the mid-5th century B.C., uh, Scholars say that it can't be any later than about the mid-300s. 
And so uh, that's the best we got in terms of the offer. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Pastor Michael Lance and everyone at Walk in Truth wanted to let you know how much we appreciate your partnering with this ministry, whether through prayer, by listening, and of course, financially. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where Pastor Michael is the head pastor. We are looking to get Walk in Truth on many more radio stations, but we need your financial support to be able to do that please visit the website walkintruth.com. Click the donate button at the top, and that's where you'll learn more and how you can give online or through the mail and become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. And God bless you for your donation. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. All of a sudden, unexpectedly, we end up over here in this job, this ministry, a new relationship, whatever it may be. And we, we sometimes don't see God's fingerprints immediately until we look back and go, hmm, wow. God actually was working, and though I couldn't see him, and maybe his name wasn't even named in the situation, he was there. So the book of Esther. We don't know the author of the book of Esther. Some believe the author is Mordecai, cousin Mordecai. Others have suggested Ezra, who was a contemporary of the time, or later Nehemiah. The author does have detailed knowledge of the Persian customs, etiquette, and history. Plus, he's familiar with the court of Susa and so forth. The date of writing, though debated, Uh, is somewhere around the mid-5th century B.C. Uh, Scholars say that it can't be any later than about the mid-300s. And so uh, that's the best we got in terms of an author and a date. Uh, You know, some might strongly lean towards Mordecai. Uh, Esther, who is the, the main character of the story along with Mordecai and a few others, her name in Hebrew is actually Hadassah. And that is mentioned in uh, Esther 2, verse 7. Her name means myrtle or the myrtle tree. Her name, Esther, um, we don't know the origin of that name. But um, Esther is among a handful of books uh, never quoted in the, uh, or alluded to in the New Testament. And many believe that Esther's name may come from the Persian word for star, or it may come from the Babylonian uh, love goddess's name, Ishtar, but her actual Hebrew name is Hadassah. Her father was named Abihail. Uh, there's a record of him in Esther 2.7 and 2.15. Again, he is no longer on the scene, and so uh, Mordecai has stepped in. So um, the king that, uh, I'm going to teach you how to pronounce his name in a moment, is mentioned, the human king is mentioned in this book 175 times. God is never mentioned once. But the ultimate hero of the book of Esther is God. And so Esther really, you could say, imbibes the larger story of Scripture. And so here's what one author says. We live in a post-Christian time where we need to live out our faith in a world where we often cannot see God directly. 
Thus, we might seem on the surface to be a, ra- this might seem, uh, Elster, to be a rather odd book, but it is actually one that invites us, the readers, to reflect on what it is to know God within this kind of world. A world where the miraculous is rare, and yet in which the faithful continue to experience the reality of God's presence. So I mentioned to you that this is not a book where left and right people are turning around and there's a miracle or there's a clear sign from God or you open a chapter and it says the word of the Lord came to this person or the word of the Lord came to this person. Yet God is still working. And tonight, if it has seemed like God has been silent when you've been praying about something or struggling with a situation or wondering, you know, about a direction. God is always at work. Jesus said, my father is always working and I am always working. And so the book opens this way. Now, it took place, literally, and it was. In the days, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes, if you have an NIV, his name in uh, most of the translations, at least some of them that I am aware of, is Ahash Rarash. All right? Now, you probably could listen to studies on the book of Esther, and people are going to pronounce this name in a n- number of different ways. But I'm going to tell you that the name, if you have a New American Standard, for example, and you see A-H-A-S-U-E-R-U-S, is to my knowledge pronounced Ahash Warash. Okay? Now, the Greek rendering, see that, that name is the Hebrew rendering of a Persian name. So this is where it gets a little difficult because you're taking a Persian name and transliterating it into a Hebrew receptor language. So some of you are saying, my Bible does not say that, Pastor Michael. It calls him Xerxes. Anybody got Xerxes in your version? That's because Xerxes is the transliteration from Persia, Persian language, into Greek. And so sometimes there's not an exact science on how to move these names into a receptor language. Because remember, the Bible is written in original languages and then it is recepted into languages that we understand. So we have a Bible written in English. But remember, the original readers of this story were reading in what? Hebrew or Aramaic. And so there are ways that we translate the name. So don't get too confused about it. But the original name was, the original Persian name of this king starts with a K. And it's something like Kashar Yarsha. But it comes into uh, the language before us as Ahash Warash. Or if we want to keep it simple, Xerxes. (laughs) He was the Persian king who reigned from 486 to 465 BC. So about a 21-year reign. Most scholars identify the figure with Xerxes I. He was the son and successor of Darius I called Hystaspes. And you've heard his name mentioned, for example, in the book of Daniel. So it says, now it took place, or and it was, in the days of this particular king. Notice he's mentioned, what, two times in uh, verse 1, that he reigned from India 
to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. Now, if you've read any backdrop on the story, even an introduction in a study Bible, you'll see that there's some debate about what the provinces are. Are they led by satraps and all this kind of stuff? The, these 127 provinces were probably smaller metropolitan regions that encompassed a city. The number does represent the grand scope of Persia's power. In fact, scholars say that at this time in world history, this is the biggest kingdom ever known to man in terms of the geography that it controls, the scope of its power. It's the biggest to this point. It's a grand scope. And so this would, uh, in the larger story, if you've ever read the story before, that this tells you about the scope of the decree. When the decree is written to annihilate the Jewish people, every man, woman, and child, the scope uh, laid out in verse 1 tells you that no matter where you would run off to as a Jew, you couldn't hide because Persia's power was everywhere. So the decree would go to all 127 provinces where you might try to escape. And that is resonating with some of you who have watched uh, movies like The Sound of Music and Fiddler on the Roof and other stories where it talks about the plights of the Jews trying to escape persecution and wondering where they could go and who they could trust. This story lies within a context of continual world history from Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia or Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and up through the ADs of the Jews constantly being under threat of annihilation and persecution. So the book of Esther, while we could say it is a book about leadership, it is also a book about survival. And the Jewish people have gone through times, decades, and even centuries where they've known nothing but persecution, nothing but trying to survive. And the backdrop of the book of Esther is actually one that may surprise you a little bit in this sense. It is filled with humor. And you might say, well, how could a story like this where Haman's plotting the annihilation of an entire race with everything at stake with the coming Messiah and so forth be set in a context of humor and even satire? Because you all know that a merry heart is what? It's good medicine, Proverbs 17, 22. So sometimes in a day, we can watch news reports and we can watch some satire that's written about politics, for example. And sometimes we have to see the people in power and just, we're either going to cry or we're going to laugh. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes in the same day, you feel like you could cry and laugh a number of different times. But have you ever been there before? Have you ever watched 20 minutes of the news, the debates in our contemporary culture, the talking heads, the figures that represent the parties and so forth? It just went, are you kidding me? Are you? And that's sometimes literally what I say to my television, expecting a possible response. Like if the TV would say, not kidding. This is, I got to show this stuff. I'm a box sending a signal. What am I going to do? You know? But that's how you feel. So sometimes satirists in a culture would make fun of uh, people in power as a way of lightening the mood of a culture. And the book of Esther is certainly a book that does do that. 
This king that we've mentioned, Ahasuerus, ascended the throne on November, in November of 486 B.C. He was 32 years old when he began his reign. So he, re- he ascended the, the uh, Persian throne, and he was in conflict with the Greeks, uh, fighting them on their western frontier. Uh, one writer says Xerxes' father Darius had been defeated in his attempt to take Athens, Greece, and the empire was resting in, in this setting of chapter 1 in preparation for its next campaign against the Greeks. So a backdrop to this big banquet that uh, King Xerxes, or his other name, is throwing is a setting that it's possible that he's trying to give his army and leaders some rest and get ready for the next military campaign against a rising world power that is the Grecian Empire. And by the way, when I mention these things, I'm actually giving you world history. So I'm telling you how world empires unfolded in concert with the Bible. Well, there's more history to learn as we lay the foundation of this incredible book of Esther. This series about the providential hand of God in normal everyday life and stressful situations is really what the book of Esther is all about. And I think that you're going to find as you ride along this journey with us in Esther that God's working in your life as well in ways that you can't always see. Well, remember, you can listen to this teaching and previous series like the one in Colossians when you visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. So be sure to tune in tomorrow for more of our teaching in the book of Esther, Banquets and Battles. Until then, God bless you. Tell a friend about what you're hearing, and we'll catch you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.